0: money, man. Oh, five seconds. What?
1: No, 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 I got, I got okay. Question. Um, it hit me. What is the worst thing you've ever done to another human
0: being? Ooh. Oh, the worst thing I've ever done to another human being.
2: Cha 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 Perfect timing. The Uber brings her here. Uber brings her there. Sometimes it's a lift. She's got really great hair. Her name is Latoya, the sheriff of Truthwin, and she is here in the What's house up? in the hizzy. As am I.
3: On top
2: Your host. And I'm Benjamin. You guys are listening to the Altacast here on Mutiny Radio. It is high noon. I am not high enough yet. Are you?
3: Uh,
2: I'm about to to be high. About woohoo! Got those weird chargers in yeah. the house, in the hizzy, not the football team, like the things that power <laughs> those delicious vape pens, you know what I'm talking about?
4: Deliciousness.
2: Oh, yeah, because we love drugs. Love drugs. Uh, are, I mean, what do we... By the
4: way, you, speaking of drugs, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Pot, or the um, marijuana Rice Krispie Treats, uh-huh. I ate half of one on Monday at a Halloween party, and I felt really, really good to the point where I didn't really want to drink anymore. Wow. Which was great. Yeah. And then, like, some of my friends who came to uh, the show on Friday, they liked them a lot, too. Great. They liked the treats. And some of them were scared of them. So I'm like, don't
2: be scared. No fear. Don't be afraid. Just eat a little piece. It's like 30 milligrams. It's no big deal. Yeah. It's it's really, that's not that much. It lured me off drinking. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't know. I love them. I think they're uh... I think they're great. And I, I love to give them away. It was uh, It's treat, trick-or-treat. We all had treats here on Friday night. And that podcast should be coming out so soon. Sadly, our stream was down uh, for like a week, I know. So uh, it's going to be uploaded soon to Pantastics. It actually was uploaded, but... It's one of those speedy three-minute versions that make no sense. So uh, it's just a thing that happens with some of our podcasts when the stream goes down. Anyways. Technology. It's going to be a great podcast once it comes out. It was a four-hour show. I had a really great time. I think everybody else did. Sadly, no one took a picture of me. Not even George at the door usually. Yeah, so there's no pictures of me in the clown outfit. Maybe it's best that there aren't. Maybe it's best to forget that. No, no, not at all. I, I'm surprised. Yeah, I, really I know. Am. I was wearing a tutu, and nobody thought it was tutu fun to take a picture. <laughs> <laughs> I also uh-huh. dressed up on Sunday uh, at. I was at a show in Katati, and I had a first. I, I, uh, I walked an audience member, which I've never done before. But then, I walked her in tears. She was so brutally offended. By my abortion jokes And my touching baby penises for money I guess she was molested as a child or something So people told me later They were like, you really triggered her Because she was molested as a child And she was really drunk And I was like, okay, I'm sorry I didn't know that was happening But I didn't think I was that fucking edgy Wow, so She had an open therapy session at the show Yeah, she cried (laughs) And she kept trying to say to her person next to her Like, this is the most offensive thing I've ever heard Like, Okay, fine. Touching baby dicks for money is a kind of an offensive thing to say, but it is. I'm a great nanny. It's true. You have to wipe children's butts, and they're and if you're not going to circumcise your kids because you have a heart and you don't, you know, you don't believe in male circumcision. His choice, his decision. Everybody, you know. Seriously, I don't understand. I just I have the whole joke. List. So I was doing that section of jokes, and she had to leave. Wow.
4: But I mean, sometimes you got to realize what you're getting yourself into when you go to a lot of comedy shows. I mean, seriously, you're not going to be talking about farts and poop jokes for like, you know, the whole time. I was dressed
2: as a clown. (laughs) That probably triggered it too. Yeah, it's like, obviously I'm joking, right? Obviously it's a comedy show. And I couldn't believe, I'm like, abortion jokes are really hurting your feelings this much? Really? seriously no
4: I mean yeah I mean oh, no. some people just should not go get to comedy, comedy shows show. there was um I think it was last week in Florida uh Amy Schumer performed or something and um, people left because you know she had a bunch of Trump jokes and what have you and she was talking about abortion and it's just like people know who you're going to go see before you spend money and sit there I mean you can't get mad at the comedian because oh well I feel offended and you know, and I'm like, well, what do you, what do you, comedians don't offend people, they're actually
2: the truth tellers. Guns offend people, no, I'm yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it's if it's written if in find, good taste, if they find something offensive, that's on them, that's not on the comedian, yeah, it's on them. All right. And and, and as long as it's in good taste and it's written correctly. Well, I don't think that my jokes are necessarily in good taste. I mean... No,
4: they're written well, well. There's a point to it. Whereas right. people will just say something
2: that's just derogatory and not make a point to it. Right, right. That's what I mean, good yeah, taste. Exactly. Well-written jokes. Well, anyways, it was an exciting weekend because I, I walked my first audience member. <laughs> so it was a big big day for me how was your halloween
4: um it was fun i worked on saturday but i went to a boat party uh which was fun i dressed up and did drugs boat and party. yeah it was Does out on the pier three right? uh so yeah it was a boat cruise on a yacht you know pay money on it
2: on a yacht yeah, on with the flippy floppies, the um, flippy floppies yeah. all that stuff and then went to but a you had party. And, and you had a costume on yes i did that's crazy so you're on the water
4: with a costume when people playing house music in different three levels of the the ship so that was pretty dope so i had a decent halloween you know went to a halloween party you know made it Sweet. out alive and now we're in november It's
2: November. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's true. Uh, November is here. It is upon us. The year is over. Pretty much. The thing that makes me nervous is that I just, I'm starting today um, the new, all the preparations for the uh, next Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival, because I only have four months. That's four months to get it together. That was like a year ago that we you started uh, preparing for that too around w- this time. Right, right. Well, I, and I'd already I'd been preparing. I would actually started a, a month before. I I was working in October last year, but because I'm only gonna do it with local comedians, it's a lot less work.
4: Ah, uh, so that way you don't have to uh,
2: watch everybody's uh, yeah. I do have it. to watch everybody's video because I've I know most of them. I mean. Ostensibly. There's going to be new people, obviously, because it's going to be Bay Area only. But not just the, the time that it takes to watch them, but also, like, I mean, I did it last year. It's pretty much just follow the template. Right, right. Um, but I, I do have to find sponsors. And uh, I'm hoping one of my friends has a, a new job with Credit Karma, and they're a really cool company. Oh, cool. And uh, I told her, I said, hey, you know, I give me your email and I'll send you a letter if you can pass it on because I would be willing to have a show where the theme would be, one of the our themes would be bad credit. Like <laughs> comedians making bad choices, stories about bad choices with money brought to you by CreditKarma.com. That's awesome. Right? And then I say, hey, you could be a big sponsor because really all I need them for is like the Alta money like that they did last year, like 1500 or 2000 bucks, so we can get... T-shirts and I can make all the printed materials because this year I want to do posters to put around everywhere, posters, right. not just flyers, flyers, posters and then also I'm going to make these big posters because I'm illegally going to put them into Muni. Ooh. So to, to advertise on Muni they have to be a certain size and you're supposed to go through Clear Channel but Clear Channel is the only ones that maintains them and deals with all that stuff. So if I make one and I stick it in an empty one, I'm not going to take any out, but if some of them are gone and there's, there's an empty, one empty space, there's yeah. always empty ones, I'm just going to slide it on in there. It's going to be there for at least a couple of weeks. Yeah. So if I get those out in like January and start putting them on the uh, tops of the buses uh-huh. where there's room, No one's going to take it down. It's going to be up there for the two months. Buy your, with the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival logo and buy your tickets at universe.com and all of my tickets will be up there and some cool, you know. Guerrilla advertising. Real advertising. Guerrilla advertising. Real advertising, but guerrilla advertising. No one's going to notice. I mean, and I can say it on this podcast all night long because, I mean, maybe we'll blow up someday. I think so. I'm optimistic. Optimi-
4: optimism. Optimism.
2: Are it's fading as op- I get older. Are you optimistic about next week? Do you think ah. old tiny hands, orange face, ah. or is it? Is he going to win? Are we going to be okay? I... God, stupid emails, FBI. Oh, my God.
4: Like, this... I was watching The Daily Show, and Trevor Noah made a great point that if you've noticed, every Friday, there's always been some kind of big scandal that has popped out of this election. Like, the grabbing pussy thing came out on a Friday. The emails thing came out on a Friday. Uh, Tell me about the emails. uh, So, FBI Director Comey...
2: uh, Let's
4: take a read from the Huffington Post, shall we?
2: Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. Is it a Hillary thing? Yes, it is a Hillary oh, thing. Damn.
4: So um, James Coney, who is the FBI director, so, um, said that next Tuesday, um, excuse me, he was stating that... Uh, He created a whole mess about Hillary's emails. Um, He told the Congress and the Bureau that he came across a batch of emails that uh, that may or may not give the reason to revisit the investigation into the Clinton emails. So it's just like, I found some stuff. It might be important to the emails. It might not. Very vague. Right. And then... The how they found the emails. This is the really kicker. So, um, one of Hillary's top aides, her right her right hand woman, um, her husband, who is Anthony Weiner who was the guy, he was running for Congress and running for mayor for New York, but um, was the guy that was um, sexting his dick pics. Oh, fun! Yeah, so he was married to uh, Hillary's top advisor. They're about to get a divorce. Then the FBI takes his computer away. <gasps> Long behold, they found maybe some emails, maybe not. Whoa. So the plot is still around a dick.
2: That's so funny. It's, it's,
4: um, and so, uh, <laughs> so now you know this, this whole is, email they, thing was supposed to be closed anyway. And now James Comey, I mean, there's there's nothing he said that he they found but this is just an october surprise the thing that they usually find and dig up some kind of scandal you know to hurt that person running in the election so now the trump and the clinton campaign are almost neck and neck no no compared to how they were about a week and a half ago
2: because everyone goes oh she lied she lied she lied she lied yeah yeah they all lie they all lie I don't understand and I also I hate when they're like oh she's she's a heartless bitch. And it's like ugh do you have to use that word like I do not I mean people
4: I, I'm sorry people who vote for Trump you're just playing out racist and sexist that's just it. I don't like you. Y'all so y'all, y'all racist and sexist and homophobic and y- y- I don't like y'all. I don't like If you either. if if you feel that way about me
2: shall be it if I I don't want I mean I'm trying to plan the mutiny radio comedy festival 2017 I I can't do that if I'm living in Mexico
4: (laughs) or Costa Rica right yeah
2: Yeah, or Costa Rica
4: I mean it's I'm hoping that this is just something that you know a little bit of fear that's being stirred up because I really can't see ourselves Voting in this person, this man, I'm. I just can't see us. There's too many intelligent people, and there's too many women. There's too many people of color. There's too many, you know, L B G T Q people out did, here. Did you see
2: the thing though about the votes? Um, that I saw a lady on Facebook, and she was an African American lady, and she said. Um, the vote switched. She voted for Hillary, and then it switched to Trump. And then she went to the guy and reported it. And it was a broken. He said, "Oh, well, we'll take, we'll check that machine out." But she was like, "Check your vote before you leave because they're cheating." Yo,
4: yeah, oh yeah. The machines are flipping the ma- it. The ma- machines, and then like people who are. Oh yeah. Sorry about that. And people that, you know, are Trump supporters, Trump has urged them to go to the polling places and kind of intimidate voters as well for voting for him. And there was a what? woman recently that was uh, arrested, uh, I believe in Ohio or what have you, uh, for early voting twice who was a Trump supporter. So Whoa. you know the, the whole election is rigged, all this stuff. He's having people right. rig the re- He's rigging the election. Yeah, exactly. Of course I mean, he of course, of course it's rigged. It was. of course he's gonna ha- of course he was gonna have people
2: to do it. Of course he's he, he's a terrible human being. Uh hey election twenty sixteen marijuana law reform oh, drugs. takes center stage. This just came out today yes. from Drug Policy Alliance. Uh Changing the way we think about all kinds of things. Election 2016 marijuana law reform takes center stage California, Arizona, Nevada, Maine, and Massachusetts to vote on legalizing marijuana, while Florida, Arkansas, North Dakota, and Montana vote on medical marijuana. Oh, wow. Election shaping up as watershed moment for movement to end federal prohibition. This election day is shaping up to be a watershed moment for the efforts to end marijuana prohibition with five states voting on marijuana legalization and four more on medical marijuana. The results are expected to have major ramifications for marijuana law reform in states across the U.S. at the federal level and even internationally. A recent nationwide Gallup poll found that a record 60% of respondents support legalizing marijuana. The other 40% were not. I'm kidding. The other 40% just weren't even asked. Everybody supports marijuana. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It says uh, record 60% of respondents supporting legalized marijuana. But polls on this year's state-based ballot initiatives show the results will be tighter. In 2012, Colorado and Washington became the first two U.S. states and the first two jurisdictions in the world to approve ending marijuana prohibition and legally regulating or legally regulating marijuana production, distribution and sales. In the 2014 election, Alaska and Oregon followed suit, while Washington D.C. passed a more limited measure that legalized possession and home cultivation of marijuana but did not address its taxation and sale due to a federal law passed by Congress in 2014 that bars D.C. from pursuing taxation and regulation. In addition, 25 states and D.C. have passed laws allowing access to medical marijuana. California's looking good. So is medical marijuana in Florida, and I'm confident will prevail in other states as well, said Ethan Nadelman, executive director of the Drug Policy Alliance. We're fast approaching the day when Americans will look back on the marijuana wars of recent decades the same way we now look back on alcohol prohibition as a costly, foolish, and deadly mistake. The most significant ballot initiative is California's Proposition 64, which, along with legalizing uh, the adult use of marijuana and enacting across-the-board sentencing reform for marijuana offenses, establishes a comprehensive, strictly controlled system to tax and regulate businesses to produce and distribute marijuana in a legal market. Experts are calling Proposition 64 the gold standard for marijuana policy. So the bummer... Uh, with, I mean, it is a really 64. You should read all the fine print, all the fine print on 64, because uh, it's it's going. They're going to tax every ounce of flowers nine dollars and twenty five cents, and every ounce of shake two dollars and twenty five cents. So that's going to come. That's going to go directly to the growers, which is which would have to. Um, you know, pass that cost on to the distributors, that will then pass that cost on to the people, or will it all change because it's so legalized? I mean, will the price go way up for it to be legal? Because that's only going to help the black market. Like, if it's seventy-five dollars for an eighth at, you know, Purple Star or something, no one's going to pay seventy-five an eighth. No. Even if you could just walk in, anybody can walk in and get. No one's going to pay that much. No. That, it's that, going to go bad. back to like. Hey, my buddy's got weed.
4: Well, you know, exactly. Well, I guess in that case, at least you'll have option A and option B. You know, like, well, your shit's too high, but my boy's dro that lives next door to me. His shit is dope and it's less expensive. So
2: It's, it's dope.
4: But I mean, well, and you, we can still grow it ourselves. So that's true. Right. Um, and the decriminalization
2: of it is to me the is most, amazing. The most important part. Absolutely. Uh, importantly, Proposition 64 not only protects youth from accessing marijuana products, it protects them from accessing the criminal justice system, said Lynn Lyman, California State Director for the Drug Policy Alliance. If Proposition 64 prevails, young people can no longer be arrested for marijuana offenses, which data consistently shows us is the gateway to the criminal justice system. And at age 18, their records will automatically be automatically sealed. And with hundreds of thousands of residents eligible to have their records cleared, Californians who care about justice have a lot riding on Prop 64's victory. Prop 64 focuses on undoing the most egregious harms of marijuana prohibition, which have disproportionately impacted communities of color, restoring and protecting public lands and waterways that have been damaged by lack of statewide regulation under current law, and protecting youth to prevent the easy access to marijuana they have today in our unregulated, uncontrolled system. By shifting away from counterproductive marijuana arrests and focusing instead on public health, states that have legalized marijuana are diminishing many of the worst harms of the war on drugs while managing to raise substantial new revenue for their state. A new report recently released by the Drug Policy Alliance brought good news for the states considering legalization and the broader marijuana legalization movement. Since the adult possession of marijuana became legal, Colorado, Washington, Alaska, and Oregon have benefited from a dramatic decrease in marijuana arrests and convictions, as well as increased tax revenues. During the same period, these states did not experience increases in youth marijuana use or traffic fatalities because we people drive slow <laughs> uh the that's my own little addition on the end there the election i mean really if if sure. i had to choose between a person who was high off their gourd or who um uh, who was drunk no dr- stoned yes absolutely kidding me i i used to love driving stoned <laughs> it's i mean when you drive drunk it's you can't the one-eyed thing you think you're looking and you know you're Totally slowed all of Worst your... Worst mistake we ever made. Yeah, yeah, don't do not do it. Don't drink and drive. Yeah, you could kill someone. You can, yeah, absolutely. Or yourself. Yeah. It's scary stuff. Uh, the election will have international ramifications as momentum grows to end marijuana pro- prohibition in Europe and the Americas. Over the past two years, Jamaica has enacted wide-ranging medical marijuana decriminalization. Colombia and Puerto Rico issued executive orders legalizing medical marijuana, and medical marijuana initiatives have been debated in Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, and Italy. In 2013, Uruguay became the first country in the world to legalize marijuana on a national level, and Canada's governing liberal party has promised to do the same. Legalization. Arizona. Arizona's Proposition 205 allows adults 21 and older to possess up to an ounce of marijuana and grow up to six plants in their home. It establishes a new agency, the Department of Marijuana Licenses and Control, to oversee the licensing of marijuana retail stores, stores as well as cultivation, manufacturing, and testing facilities. The initiative enacts a 15% excise tax on marijuana sales, which will be allocated to school construction, full-day kindergarten programs, Uh, public drug education and toward the marijuana regulatory structure hey good point why are there no full day why is kindergarten only half a day Uh, because I think a lot of the the money in the budget for like
4: public schools is probably uh, went to shit and so now kindergarten there used to be an option between having half day and full day when I was little it was kindergarten was only half day I had half day I had half day as well. But I remember uh, the Catholic school, the other Catholic school I went to, they had full day kindergarten. So, I mean, I guess
2: it depends. I I honestly don't know. I'm I'm thinking that they used to do maybe half day kindergarten because like preschool, it's like kids, they're thinking that they can't handle that much school or something. Like it's too long for them to be... But then you enter first grade. What's the fucking difference? Right. It's it's absolutely, yeah. Well, so all-day kindergarten programs, I think that's interesting and cool. California. California's Prop 64 allows adults 21 and older to possess up to an ounce of marijuana and grow up to six plants at home. The initiative also legalizes the industrial cultivation of hemp. The Bureau of Medical Marijuana Regulation will be renamed the Bureau of Marijuana Control and will oversee 19 different licenses for businesses and cultivation. The initiative does not allow large-scale cultivation for the first five years, so small farmers have an advantage. A 15% excise tax on marijuana sales and cultivation tax will be used to pay for the regulatory structure. Additional revenue will go toward youth substance and abuse prevention, medical marijuana research, environmental protection and remediation, and local governments. The initiative also allocates substantial resources toward economic development and job placement for neighborhoods most in need, and creates a system for sentences to be retroactively reduced and past marijuana convictions to be expunged. Very important. Maine. Maine's question one allows adults 21 and older to possess up to two and a half ounces of marijuana and grow up to six flowering plants and 12 non-flowering plants. The initiative instructs the Department of Agriculture conservation and forestry to regulate and control the cultivation, manufacture, distribution, and sale of marijuana. It also provides for the licensure of retail social clubs where marijuana may be sold for consumption on the premises to adults 21 and older. The initiative, an actually 10% excise tax on marijuana sales that will be deposited into Maine's general fund. Hey. Massachusetts. Massachusetts question four allows adults twenty-one and older to possess up to an ounce of marijuana and grow up to six plants in their home. The initiative establishes a cannabis control commission to oversee the licensing of marijuana retail stores as well as cultivation, manufacturing, and testing facilities. It enacts a three point seven seven five percent excise tax on marijuana sales. Cheap. Nice. Used to pay for the regulatory structure, additional revenue will be deposited into Massachusetts' general fund. Wow, they are not—they're—they're awesome. they're only going to tax it 3.75 percent. We're all like 15, 15 percent. Oh, because we're California, we have to be pricey and expensive. Right. Nevada is the same way. Nevada's Question Two allows adults 21 and older to possess up to an ounce of marijuana, and those who do not live within 25 miles of a retail marijuana store may grow up to six plants in their home the initiative instructs the nevada department of taxation to oversee the licensing of marijuana retail stores as well as cultivation manufacturing and testing facilities it establishes a 15 percent excise tax on marijuana sales used to fund schools and the marijuana regulatory structure Uh, i won't go through the details of the nevada of the medical which is for arkansas florida montana and north dakota i'm
4: just proud that you have two southern states yeah. In that list. Especially Arkansas. Absolutely. Which is very conservative. So that that's that right there is a good sign.
2: Yeah, change. change. Ark yeah, Arkansas, Florida, Florida man yeah. seeks weed. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, I mean,
4: especially I mean, you got Arkansas. Next to Arkansas is Louisiana, which is oh, one of the toughest right, right. Uh,
2: states on marijuana. So And North Dakota. I mean, I'm sure everybody's grown weed. No, where is North Dakota? No, the, <laughs> near Canada. It's where the pipeline. Oh, hey, let's talk about that for a second. What the heck happened? I was on Facebook and I didn't even understand what was going on. Oh, so like when everyone, everyone was, was checking was, in. Everyone, and I'm like, what am I supposed to be doing? What's
4: going on? Everyone was checking in. This was on Monday, I believe, um, because I believe some of the authorities. Um, basically, we're talking about the uh, North Dakota pipeline. For those who don't know, um, the Indigenous people tribe—that's their sacred ground. Uh, basically, they wanted to they want to take uh, build a pipeline under the Mississippi or excuse me uh, the Missouri River um, through their their uh, through their land through their land through their land. So basically we basically we have history repeating itself of the white man trying to take the indigenous man's land. It's um, so funny that they call it Indian giving <laughs> when it's <laughs> the white man the that opposite does it. of everything. Right. Um, and so basically a lot of people were checking in because the authorities were using Facebook uh, to help get protesters and find them and uh, let's see let's see basically they were just trying to find the protesters and everyone if you checked in it kind of would confuse the authorities a little bit yeah okay well, so, I did not know about it. So, so this I is what CNN says. Why are Facebook friends checking in at Standing Rock? So protesters are using a new weapon in their push to block the Dakota Access Pipeline. On Monday, hundreds of thousands of people had checked in Standing Rock Indian Reservation on, social, on the social network. But many weren't anywhere near the location where demonstrators have been picketing for the controversial pipeline bill. A post circulating on Facebook gave one possible explanation for the surge in activity, claiming that the mass check-ins were organized to prevent local law enforcement from tracking protesters on social media. Oh. So that's what it was. So that's why everyone was checking in right the authorities, basically. Screw the authorities. Which is smart. See, this is the beauty of social media. This is the part of social media that I appreciate the most. You know, you're protest you don't have to be there to protest, though you are there and you're watching this and you're trying to fuck up the authorities. Yeah. And scramble them, you know, scramble them up like everybody's checking in. Millions of people are checking in. So I mean, but yeah, it's this is really a sad situation and I wish it was getting more airtime and more yeah, of the time, I didn't
2: even know media. about it I hadn't even heard about it I just heard about the people checking in I didn't know that there was a pipeline
4: and then a lot of the authorities of course you know have been spray paint or excuse me uh um uh, spray painting. Huh. Uh, they've been macing people. They have oh. been tasering. They've been fighting with the protesters. Uh, a famous journalist uh, was recently uh, arrest, arrested and might be uh, held
2: on charges uh, at the protest See, site. This is a crazy thing, though. Unless you watch news 24 7 and you're constantly having it piped into you, who hears about these stories? This is the, importance these are the important stories. Like, I was talking with someone about Kratom the other day, and they're like, never heard of it. And I was like, it's the first time since 1974 that the DEA's inception that it's overturned anything or given any public comment on anything. That's amazing. And it wasn't in any, it was only no. on the Drug Policy Alliance. So unless you like know where to seek your news that's specific to what you want, I would have never heard about the North Dakota thing unless I, so I was like, I'm, my they're here in san francisco what are they doing in there? <laughs> oh yeah i mean it, it's oh. funny like
4: even by listening to us and like every wednesday we get our uh drug updates and what have you every day i learn something you know about certain things with you know yeah. with the whole thing when we talked about the dea you know finding how i knew they were corrupt but how dirty oh yeah filthy they are you know this is not stuff that's reported on cbs or nbc or abc
2: any of the news things now it's like public interest fluff story which is really sort of like advertising i feel like the news there is the news isn't like hard-hitting or reaching into anything it's like not at all it's all like promotion and advertising and uh, celebrity be, and celebrity and be scared of black people <laughs> right isn't people. that yeah anybody <laughs> any brown or i it, mean melanin it, be scared of melanin, Why? Yeah. <laughs> scared of
4: melanin. <laughs> it's 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 not informative and you know the fact of the matter is there are still a lot of people out there that do get their news from these media outlets and th- these media outlets are treating their viewers very unfairly and uninformed. Right. Like this, the pipeline situation. The only reason why I knew about it, thank God, I read Huffington Post because that's where I get my news. Right. Was the fact of Huffington Post as well as Facebook. liberal media. Liberal, not liberal. Liberal,
2: real. The liberal media skewed everything to them. There's. Yeah.
4: I don't think Huffington
2: Post is just liberal media. I don't. Because oh, a, it would be considered by. Oh yeah. If you asked the Fox News people, they'd be like, because oh, it's the truth. pinko liberals. It's the truth. I think
4: MSNBC is very liberal. Yeah, I I, I do believe like there are big me- liberal and you know media outlets out there that are one sided, and I don't like that either. But I do like Huffington Post because I get. I get actually. The facts from both ends, you do have conservative and liberal writers, as well as you have people who aren't writers that just write about, this is an issue that we need to start talking about. Or getting your news about, you know, like the North Dakota pipeline. Yeah. You know, so I mean, this to me is very, very important to me, seeing that I am a person that does have indigenous uh blood yeah and the fact that we're seeing this going on like this is civil this is civil rights all over again and everybody's getting it you don't have to be black you don't have to be brown you don't have to be muslim you don't have to be indigenous all the
2: darkies are getting it <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really <laughs> and i think you it's women. terrible that they with the, what with the indian res, what what we did with to the indigenous people of And we're still doing it. We're still doing it. This time it's being filmed. And we're we're yeah, we give we give them the well the first thing is they were like no one owns the land. And then we're like, okay, then we own the land. And then I mean the whole time with the, the homesteading act, it was $16 <laughs> for to get a 40 acre parcel of land from the government. And first they had to drive the indians off. They like literally took soldiers and took them off and drove Shove them, them off. off the land killed them and shoved them off this is now not white man land. territory well, yeah, this is where our and, and the homesteaders came out they were like woohoo we get to ours. Get, yeah manifest destiny we're entitled to this because we're americans where see this is this why i don't like little house from? on the fucking prairie it, it <laughs> is it is so entitled that that it's <laughs> that we, we've done the manifest destiny idea is pure entitlement this is our land now this land but then there's the songs this land is your land This land <laughs> so this is my land. Land from california yeah. to the new york islands no well um,
4: it, but it, it's, it's not it's not and this is how you make america great again
2: <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's 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 you know it's reparations just, but that's the thing we talked about it last time what are <sighs> what do reparations look like are they possible like, I think it's possible. How many generations does it take to like everybody for people to stop being having specific stereotypes about? I just wish people could realize wh- what
4: right is right and what wrong is wrong is like basic human decency and common sense. Like the, the fact that you knew this is in, indigenous people territory, and you and there is. The government knows that, but the fact that you're letting this pipeline come through, and you know that's wrong because this is their land, this is their territory, and you're doing that to them. Why? Why are we even going through with the pipeline? What yeah. Is the why do we need
2: the pipeline? What,
4: what's What's the point of it? Why don't we it's get some wrong. more solar energy? You're giving, you're you're stealing basically. You're taking someone's property and say, I'm gonna put my big dick on it and build through the Missouri River and then I don't know I could pollute the river that's another reason why people yeah. are protesting because it's an oil pop- pipeline right. so look what's going to happen to the wildlife
2: and and the environment and okay. why are we spending more money on on unrenewable resources why would we even do that we, why do we continue using you know oil out of the ground why are not are we, why are we not utilizing the sun the sun and the wind and the waves.
4: You know, it's just wrong that you're going through someone's backyard doing that. And then these people, the protesters and these people are getting beat up and and tortured and... and Well, I've
2: seen that. This gets down to human nature. I've been thinking about this lately um, because I'm reading the Dark Tower series, which is set in the Old West and then also the Westworld show on HBO. Good show. It is a good show. But the casualness that people even when human life is fake but real the casualness that people can take with taking life and 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 even you know not just killing someone is is bad and we can agree with that but we do it all the time and we justify it and the stealing thing like the ruining of people's lives for profit I I have a difficult time understanding that, although, you know, I'm wearing a pair of Levi's jeans that were probably made in Indonesia, so I understand that that my cool pants come from. But and I, it's hard to like justify. Like, I don't want to think I'm a bad person. Right. But I've been wondering about people that like I watched this documentary about the Barbary Coast in Shanghai, uh, sailors from San Francisco, and they know that it happened at the old ship saloon because. They found a document, they found the documents of how many, what rooms they'd stayed in, how much they drank or whatever, and how much they got paid per person that they hit over the head and then dragged to a boat. So they have actual, you can see how this man, this person who was running the saloon and the the hotel upstairs, how they profited off of ruining people's lives. And I'm just like, how can you do that? And it's to see the money, shanghai. to have the money there. It was like $10 a guy, basically. Like, $10 they got paid. So that was like they were selling people into slavery for $10 a piece. Damn. Right? Isn't that crazy? This is like 19, or 1849, 1862. Yeah. You've been shanghai man. Right. Yeah. And that was real. But
4: And imagine how much people got from, you know, African slaves. Yeah, I
2: wonder. You know, I wonder. And if... 25 cents. And if people... Dollar. And some people, but be- some people in Africa betrayed their own people, and then they got taken too. <laughs> Sold us out. It's like,
4: yeah, and it's all in the name of profit, you know. And the thing is, it's just like people are so greedy. Like, I know we've, we've, I know both of us have had that moment, moment of being greedy and wanting more, usually for and-
2: ice cream. But yeah. <laughs>
4: And you know, the fact of the matter is, like, I, I've had enough, but I just want more. And that's with the fact of, like, you know, people doing evil things. I, I, I mean, if you if you start to become inhumane
2: by your greed, kill yourself. <laughs> I just I just don't understand how a person could justify it and live with themselves, like the, the the whole the whole Shanghai thing or the whole I mean, just selling people into slavery that concept for me it's hard for me to wrap my brain around like what a person becomes when they are so they're easily able to bring about someone's misfortune for their own gain that for me like trying to think through that and watching them suffer and watching them and being like well that's it bye like that stuff's hard for me to conceptualize because you have a soul well but (laughs) uh, how is that how how does that exist why does that exist like how come i i just can't couldn't believe i if there if we were in a time of war and people were coming down the street and I, i i don't know i'd probably hide i i don't know i don't think i could take because you're human and maybe you know what it
4: feels like to be hurt or taken advantage of and you you go back to that time of like hey I know what that feels like you know you have there's some kind of connection you know of that I just even
2: stealing like that's hard for me too
4: I feel guilty after I steal Well I haven't
2: stolen I mean I, I mean I haven't stolen anything haven't in a long stolen time stolen but I felt when i have and I when felt i but guilty. when i did steal it was from large corporations and big things they weren't missing it that weren't yeah <laughs> i've rather stolen hearts but yeah right <laughs> but i i would never steal from a friend because it would be no. too i would rather just ask them Rather than try to take something from them without no, them, no, like
4: stealing. No, I, yeah, that you know that sad thing is people. There are friends that do that every single day. Really? Yeah. I, I, yeah, and that's sad. Like I would never steal from a family
2: member, or a friend, or I. Listen. Okay. No, that I would steal. Uh, from a family member because like, you know, but when I was little, like my mom's purse, like I take her change sometimes, but I felt entitled to that somehow. So th- I justified that from, by that's being like, like a growing pain, right? That's like like I'm going to take the do. money from my mommy's purse because her things are my things. And so her money is my money. So I'm going to take four quarters. But I know it's still bad, but still, yeah, I'm still going to do it. But I mean, I think the fact that the matter is
4: just people are starting to get too self absorb with thyself and not think about others, yeah, but we also i mean it, it's I feel like we're just living in a world that's just getting more and more inhumane and regressing. I think we're regressing instead of progressing
2: i and I agree with that because of the I think the touch screen technology and how many people are just inside yes. their phones, yes, and there's so much connection happening inside your phone, but it's actually. Disconnect you feel connected, but you're actually more disconnected from humanity.
4: I, I exactly prime example. There was an incident that happened on the New York uh, subway about five years ago. Guy um,
2: was pushed off the subway. <gasps> that and is like my biggest this is like my biggest fear and that I'm someone walking was on the bar- play someone was as just someone pushes it, rather on the than train. helping them. <gasps>
4: that is the kind of stuff. Or when you see And people, the train was coming? Yeah so someone was filming it rather than helping them or when you see like people fighting and you see people filming it and laughing rather than helping someone right. that's the kind of shit that you know i feel like technology and where the inhumanity is starting to really you know, sh- well, road you know, to the core. This city
2: kinda takes it out of you. Like I don't even know anymore if I'm supposed to help or what I'm supposed to like I got off True. the bus yesterday off the thirty eight Geary and there were tons and tons of people and there was a lady who looked sixty plus and she was like sitting on the ground and she had her bag next to her and I couldn't tell if she'd fallen down and needed help or if she was just sitting on the ground. And then but I didn't help her up and I didn't ask her if she needed help because I feel feel like she would have been saying, help me.
4: Right. And that's not the tricky thing. It's definitely, especially living in this city because there have been times that I know that you have I've, and I have. You're like, are you okay? Fuck off, bitch. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm oh, oh, sleeping. Oh. Yeah, I thought oh, yeah. a guy was dead. I thought a guy was
2: dead. It was hot out and he was underneath a carpet, you know, a carpet pad or something that you would use to roll something up if you were moving it or transferring, not a real blanket, but like a kind of a gross thing and heavy, thick, and uh, wrapped up in it. And the sun, and then his face was starting to get sunburned and I hadn't seen him move and I'd gone by that area twice on Leavenworth. And um, the second time I was just like, excuse me, sir, are you okay? And he he yelled at me just like, fuck off, I'm sleeping, (laughs) get the fuck out of here! (laughs) And I'm like, I thought you were dead, sorry. (laughs) you haven't moved in like six hours bro yeah exactly and (laughs) those
4: and that's the tricky point of like trying to help somebody here in this city because you got to be you got to have some street smarts for real living here and dealing with these street folks here Mm -hmm. because you got to know which ones that you're picking to help like i i would you know honestly i wish i could help you know everybody I, but you can't and some people don't want fucking help so to hell with them but like even even giving up your seat on the fucking bus
2: for a old person I wouldn't do it this morning because I was hungover, though it was a full bus and I had a seat and the girl next to me was clearly younger than me. And she gave up her seat and I was happy. Good. But I was like, motherfuckers, I am 42 years old and I am hung over as fuck. And it is a it, it is 9 a.m. on the 49 bus that I am taking from Glen Park all the way to the TL. So I am sitting.
4: See, I am I'm usually that person that gives it up. Doesn't matter if I'm like having a bad day. Cause I'm just like, I don't want to be that person. But I notice whenever I'm on the bus, I usually kind of see, if, like, what my surroundings are. If there are a lot more men on the bus. It's like, you get your ass up, and I, sir. And I'm, if I see an old lady, and I'm like, I'm I'm waiting to see. It's almost like a game that I play. And I'm waiting to see if, like, which one of you guys are going to get up first. It's, it's probably going to be me that's going to end up getting up. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just playing this game just to see. And lo and behold, sure enough, I'm right. None of these assholes get up to help their seat for the woman so I'm like I guess I'll be the gentleman in the house right right men step up your game
2: yeah assholes I I mean that just pisses me off I threw up twice this morning I got to sit on the bus do you know what I mean like I it was I I got to sit I was like no one is taking this, this seat from me today because I, 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 so I couldn't even read. I was so over I couldn't even read. I hosted Brainwash last night, and when I host Brainwash, I get free food and beer. So I got a Chinese chicken salad because I love it, but that probably was not the right thing <laughs> to fill my tummy to drink. I, I drank an entire pitcher of beer to myself, of IPA. And I had two before we left, so I, I st- at 4.30 I had my first beer. And then I had one, so yeah, I had two before... 6.30 when I got there and then from 6.30 until 10 I had a I had a whole pitcher to myself. So I probably drank like seven IPAs last night. So you're not going to be feeling like an IPA for a minute, huh? Well, well tonight I'm actually really stoked that I'm babysitting. Um, it's kind of a weird day for me. I have um, AltaCast here and then some call me Tim with special guest Adam Rubenfeld, our first Jew. Very excited about that. Sweet. Uh, and then per- Ferver's going to play the Moogie to Moogs. And then from four to like I'm gonna work on um, stuff for the festival, and then I babysit from 5.50 to like seven. And so I'm stoked, because I'm just gonna have Jonathan like pick me up, and I was like, let's go, because I'm house-sitting at this amazing house in Glen Park. So he has a parking space. There's a big kitchen if I want to cook dinner, or if we want to just... I was. Made you up by the fire. Yeah, exactly. Well, they have a fireplace too, but yeah, um, and they have their TV is so big. It's like it's it's crazy.
4: Okay, definitely take advantage of that kitchen.
2: Yeah, most
4: definitely. Yeah,
2: yeah, their kitchen's really. It was just remodeled and. Oh. Yeah, they're oh. really they're really cool people, and I get and I get to their dog is named Maggie and she's just a darling little doggy. She's been sleeping with us upstairs. Oh. Yeah, she's really cute, but uh, so I'm really excited to just take a night off of like you know if I drink I'll have like maybe one drink but I don't even at this point I am cool to take a night off (laughs) last night was fun and it worked out really well with my double sign up and um, it was fun because there's there's so many open mics on a Tuesday um, that I usually get butthurt when people come and sign up at 6:30, and then they don't come back or they're late or they're not but something happens and they mess up their time blah 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 um and so i did two signups i did a 6:30 sign up for the 7 to 8:30 show and an 8 o'clock sign up for the 8:30 to 10 show because i wanted to ensure that people would stay there i just don't want them to leave you know because once they leave they probably or may not come back so i like to keep them there anyways that's my theory uh, all right, here we go. This is I'm talking about good stuff with people and uh, nice. President Obama commutes the sentences of 98 people, bringing his total to 872. Wow, that's almost a grand. Yeah. Uh, today, Drug Policy Alliance, the president is trying to fix a broken system of justice. Time for Congress to follow. Today, President Barack Obama commuted the sentences of 98 people incarcerated in federal prison serving time under outdated and harsh drug sentences. This brings his total number of clemencies granted to 872 people. This came out on the 27th, by the way. President Obama has been pushed to do more to release those serving time in prison under harsh drug laws. This continued historic commutation of prisoners by President Obama is needed to correct the inherent racial disparities in our criminal justice system, said Tony Papa, media relations manager for the Drug Policy Alliance, who was granted clemency in New York State in 1997 after serving 12 years under the Rockefeller drug laws for a first-time nonviolent drug offense. Papa just released his new book, this side of freedom life after clemency which speaks about the roadblocks he faced when he was released it's a sure sign of the president's compassion for those who are rehabilitated and ready to come home to their families it's great to see the president step up the frequency of commutation announcements said michael collins deputy director at dpa's office of national affairs he may only have less than three months left in office but that's plenty of time to bring more people home Yay! yeah let people out of jail friends like especially if they should be so this is the book um this side of freedom by anthony papa it's a paperback that was released april 8th of 2016 you guys can find it on amazon prime it's only 99 cents on kindle It's $12.99 for the paperback. This Side of Freedom Life After Clemency is a riveting, compelling tale about the life of an activist, writer, and artist, Anthony Papa. He tells firsthand of his experience of returning home after serving 12 years of a 15-to-life sentence for a nonviolent drug crime sentenced under the mandatory provisions of the Rockefeller Drug Laws of New York State. In 1997, he was granted executive clemency by New York Governor George Pataki. Papa says that the freedom he fought so hard to get smacked him swiftly in the face, overpowering him. He struggles with his freedom while fighting to free those he left behind. Papa goes through heart-wrenching trials and tribulations as he seeks to end the war on drugs and save those he left behind. Along the way, he meets an array of individuals from famous movie stars to politicians and the very rich, enlisting their help in doing away with mass incarceration and draconian sentencing laws that have destroyed America's criminal justice system. Go buy his book, This Side of Freedom, Life After Clemency, 99 Cents on Kindle. Yay. Drug policy. Yay. Drugs. Drugs. Very important. Yeah. Uh... We'll do one more, this is interesting, about heroin. Yay, heroin. Hey, heroin. <laughs> Making a comeback. Making a comeback. <laughs> well, and it is interesting that now that the white people are, are on it, that all of these, uh, you know, clemencies and cretoms being passed. You need to help them. All the changes. It's poor little. There
4: needs to be more rehab. Y'all, where were y'all back during the crackademic? Right. Yeah. Just animals and savages. Right. But, but now it's just like, oh no, Betsy's on heroin. <laughs> We've got to get a rehab. It's a disease. Yeah. 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 It wasn't a disease for us. We were just savages.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's terrible Double that stamped. they're, it, absolutely. Uh, this is from the 26th of October. Friday, New Mexico legislative committees to hear about heroin-assisted treatment. International expert Dr. Eugenia Oviedo jokes and the, well, that's her name, J-O-E-K-E-S. Wow. Wow. Sure. And uh, Oviedo Jokes and the Drug Policy Alliance to testify on the alternative treatment for chronic heroin addiction. Santa Fe on Friday, international expert Dr. Eugenia Oviedo Jokes and Lindsay Lasalle from the Drug Policy Alliance will testify in a joint meeting of the interim Legislative Health and Human Services and Courts Corrections and justice committees. They will present on heroin-assisted treatment, an evidence-based treatment for chronic heroin addiction. Heroin maintenance may be feasible, effective, and cost-effective strategy for reducing drug use and drug-related harm among long-term heroin users in New Mexico, for whom other treatment programs have failed. Heroin-assisted treatment, also known as heroin maintenance, refers to the supervised administration by a doctor of pharmaceutical-grade heroin, Diacetylmorphine to chronic heroin users who have failed more traditional forms of treatment, including abstinence-based models and medications such as methadone. Permanent heroin-assisted treatment programs have been established in the United Kingdom, Switzerland, and the Netherlands, Germany, and Denmark, with additional trial programmings having been completed in Spain, Belgium, Luxembourg, and even our neighboring Canada. The results have been unanimously positive. Empirical studies have conclusively demonstrated that heroin-assisted treatment is a highly cost-effective intervention that dramatically reduces illicit drug use, crime, disease, and overdose, while improving health, well-being, social integration, and treatment retention among heroin-dependent persons who have failed prior treatment. Uh, Dr. Eugenie Oviedo-Jokes was formerly co-investigator of North America's first heroin-assisted treatment trial, the North American Opiate Medication Initiative, Naomi, and current principal investigator of the Study to Assess Long-Term Opioid Maintenance Effectiveness, Salome, a randomized clinical trial testing innovative treatments for severe long-term opioid dependency. Lindsay LaSalle is the senior staff attorney in Drug Policy Alliance Office of Legal Affairs. LaSalle is particularly active in the areas of harm reduction and overdose prevention, including Good Samaritan and Naloxone distribution laws, heroin-assisted treatment, expanded access to medical medication-assisted treatment in both community and criminal justice settings, and supervised injection services, among others. Uh, the DPA Heroin Assistant Treatment Fact Sheet uh, Under HAT Which is Hero-assisted treatment Pharmacological heroin Is administered Under strict controls In a clinical setting To those who have failed Other treatments Like methadone Every published evaluation Of HAT Has shown Extremely positive outcomes Major reductions In illicit drug use Crime, disease And overdose And improvements In health, well-being Social reintegration And treatment retention more than half a dozen countries in Europe and Canada have implemented heroin-assisted hat programs. Uh, that is interesting, right?
4: Yeah, that is. I'm surprised. Wouldn't have the What was the, uh, the drug that the DEA was trying to ban recently? The Kratom. The Kratom.
2: Yeah, that works, that gets people off of heroin. Her- heroin. Yeah.
4: Was, that wasn't mentioned at all, was it?
2: No, not at all. No, not yeah. at all. Uh, But I think because this is, I mean, I think this is really neat, heroin-assisted treatment, meaning that you've tried Kratom, you've you've been through, you've been to rehab four times. You know what I mean? It's like, so much rehab, you've tried it, you can't, it's just, you're still living on the street, you you got to have the hair, like, if you've tried the methadone and it doesn't work, you've tried the, and you're just, can't stop. I mean, in a clinical setting, if it's like, okay. You have to stop this unsafe behavior that you're doing, like sharing needles and doing it in bathrooms and, you know, public places, et cetera. But if you go into this, like, clinical area and uh, are administered by a doctor, I mean, I guess it would change. You'd still get the feelings. Like, so you're not sick, basically.
4: That's because, yeah, you're trying to avoid being dope sick by this point. Right. You know, because you're not even getting high anymore. You're just trying to avoid
2: getting sick. Right. So they could probably, I don't know, wean them off of it. I'm not sure. This is, um, had a successful second line treatment. Several countries have gone beyond methadone and adopted heroin assisted treatment programs, which have proven successful. Typically patients receive injectable or inhalable heroin three to two to three times per day hmm. from a doctor in a clinic under strict controls. Um, Peer-reviewed studies around the world have found that HAT is associated with decreased illicit drug use, crime, overdose fatalities, and risky injecting, as well as improvements in physical and mental health, employment, and social relations. In contrast, few reports have appeared in the scientific literature demonstrating any harmful consequences of HAT. Um, every HAT trial has shown a marked decrease in illicit drug Street heroin use. A 2015 systematic review and meta-analysis published by the British Journal of Psychiatry reviewed six randomized control trials of HAT and found that across the trials, there was a greater reduction in the use of illicit heroin among HAT patients compared to the control groups who were only receiving methadone. Ah, the authors concluded that heroin prescribing as part of a highly regulated regimen is a feasible and effective treatment for particularly difficult to treat group of heroin dependent patients. So they've tried they've they've tried the methadone, and it's just not happening, and they're continuing to do more street heroin and be risky and stuff. So it's like just give them the heroin, yeah, if that's what they want
4: just give, them, the <laughs> just give them, them what they want well but i think i think i think it is a good idea a good idea because that when you are containing uh public health as well you know so
2: right oh here this is really interesting i never checked this press resources on uh, from drug policy alliance they have uh images videos and tips uh they tell you that What you should use on a white or light background, uh, what to use on dark backgrounds. They've got marijuana stock photos, marijuana (laughs) B-roll, realistic marijuana user stock images. (laughs) Media outlets continue to use stereotypical stoner images for otherwise serious news stories about marijuana. The Drug Policy Alliance is offering an alternative, stock photos of Mm -hmm. real, everyday people who use marijuana. These photos are open licensed and free to use for non-commercial editorial purposes, and we hope they will make the job of editors easier and content more relevant. Learn more about why showing humanized, accurate marijuana is so important. These are great pictures, young female smoking marijuana with pipe and playing on tablet. Older male and female couples smoking marijuana in bed. Uh, diverse group of adults smoking marijuana and watching a movie. I'm going to put these on our, um, <laughs> make a collage. Yeah. Of I'm going to download these images and, uh, this is exciting and we'll put it on. We'll, uh, that's so great. And they've got you download the image. You just click right to downsize the full image. I love these guys. It's so easy. It's so real. Thank you. Hey, that's me. Look uh, at this. Save image to downloads. Wow. Um, and I'll, we'll do the older couple smoking in bed. That's cute. Look how cute they are. Uh, look at them! Oh, they're so cute! Don't oh, the, they're don't, just don't let the sheets on fire. Um, and then we'll do diverse uh, adults smoking.
4: That's here. It is. There's me. a fat
2: guy. Oh no, it's a it's a fat lady. She's. Uh, I'm sorry. She's <laughs> look kind of like a guy, but she's. I I'm wonder sorry. what she's, movie
4: they're watching.
2: Uh, yeah. Well, this is really great. So let's read this. Learn more about why showing humanized, accurate marijuana uh, is important. Everyday, harmless, norm-core marijuana stock photos. They put these up on 4-20-2015. The Drug Policy Alliance just released a bunch more stock photos of everyday, harmless, norm-core people consuming marijuana. The Internet responded with applause, amusement, gratitude, and a wave of colorful comments. Uh, it, today is April 420, the unofficial national holiday celebrated by marijuana enthusiasts. This might be the year that people who love marijuana have more to rejoice about than ever. The once vilified plant, it is not easy being green, and the battle to end its disastrous prohibition is now leaping into the mainstream in both culture and politics. CNN can't stop, to, uh, can't seem to stop talking about it. Uh, blah, blah, blah. And everyone from Barack Obama to Martha Stewart has admitted to inhaling. Uh, nearly half of Americans say they've tried marijuana. That's a lot of people. And they can't possibly all look like the dude from the Big Lebowski. No re- disrespect to the dude. Many of them probably look like regular folks with mortgages, jobs, tie-dye articles of clothing and the like. Still, many journalists, even well-meaning ones, use offensive cartoonish or just plain absurd photos that would be considered unthinkable when covering any other story issue. Take, for instance, this recent story about a Canadian yoga studio that started off each class with a bit of marijuana consumption for relaxation. You might chuckle, but marijuana combined with yoga is apparently a thing. Instead of featuring a photo of a person who looks like they might be doing yoga, the photo editor chose a picture of a young woman with bags under her eyes puffing a joint who looks like she just woke up out of her college dorm room after three days of partying without sleep. (laughs) Well, we decided to give the media the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they don't mean to imply that everyone that likes marijuana and everyone in favor of legalizing it looks like a cliche, but it's hard to find people willing to be photographed in the act of consuming marijuana. After all, it isn't fully legal yet. Uh, There you go. Fun stuff. Uh, yeah, awesome. they have diverse group of adults smoking marijuana at a barbecue, younger Asian female taking marijuana tincture, uh, older male. This is great. I'm like, oh, wow, there's five pages of these. <laughs> wow. And they don't have t-shirts with the no. bud on it. They look like normal people. This guy's smoking out of a vaporizer. This guy's smoking a bong. It's, this is this is a lot of fun. Thanks, Drug Policy Alliance. New discovery. Yeah, Drug Policy Alliance. Drugs, drugs, drugs. We drugs. love drugs. Yes, we do. Um, but not heroin. Yeah, yes. I mean, apparently no heroin way. Is, is a thing.
4: I'm uh, not trying to get that high. Well, uh, speaking of getting that high, I made the um, horrible, horrible mistake. By accepting drugs from a stranger on on the boat. Oh, the drugs, special K. Oh no! Wow. Ketamine. Wow. How'd that go? Not fun. Not fun. I mean, thank God it's very quick and brief. And it was. I I felt not sick, but I was not here, and I knew I was not here, and I was just like I get it together but everything's
2: so wobbly <laughs> yeah it wasn't fun i i'm not i also am not a fan of um ketamine i only did it once and how was that for you burning man in uh 2007. how'd that work out for you my dear well my friend the prophet jeff holmes uh rebirthed the world also channeled kurt cobain for a while. <laughs> uh, I thought that a guy riding a bike was on fire. <laughs> really, he—it was a, a dummy on fire on a bike being towed behind a car that we couldn't see. So I was freaking out. Cause I'm like, that guy is on fire. <laughs> like somebody has to help that guy, and I couldn't do anything. Because um, you're stuck in a hole. I was well, I was stuck in a chair, yeah. But you, then all stuck. of a sudden, I guess a police person came up or something, and everyone was like, Act normal, and I'm like, Okay. like I didn't it's not fun because like you I felt
4: like I was in a hole literally like I couldn't get out but I was trying to be normal like I was really really overthinking things and I knew I wasn't in my right state of mind right and I like to have a little bit control when I'm high on something on a substance yeah that way I'm like not looking like I'm high but was it? Was he? Did he want to rape you? What? what was no, him? no. The the. It was the special K. It was just like, this
2: was. It but sometimes fine. they do that. They they make girls take too much special K, so they fall into a K hole, so they can't do anything, and then people. Oh yeah, the numbness. Yeah,
4: and then you can't move. Or yeah. Right. No, I didn't take that much. Okay, good. Yeah, you know, I. Yeah. Ooh. The sad thing is, I still have
2: some left. Oh boy. Which I'm gonna flush to the toilet. Yeah, it's. Uh. I mean, ooh. it's it's a really interesting drug because it's a it's a. It's a disassociative So it's used with uh, monkeys, cats, and horses A lot of times to do surgery Because you can cut into a cat And you don't have to give them any anesthesia And anesthesia kind of re- represses their um, respiratory system So ketamine, same with monkeys It doesn't do that But you can kind of fuck with them And cut them and do all kinds of things And they don't feel pain And they don't b- respond to it They're numb Because they're numb And um, But it's a disassociative So it'd be like the way I explain it to people when they're like, I don't get it, it would be like you'd see a finger on a table and be like, that's a finger. But you wouldn't understand that it was your finger. You wouldn't look at your hand right. and be like, I don't have a finger. There's a finger. That's my finger. You wouldn't get it. You'd no. be like, there's a finger on the table. and it wouldn't You wouldn't think, oh, that's my finger. That's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that That's a problem. <laughs> yeah, so um, I guess in small amounts, uh, it can be fun. But in large doses it, it can be a, a nightmare yeah i luckily had only sm- a
4: small amount yeah. and uh yeah that small amount was not pleasant so there yeah that's my drug story of the
2: week we're going to listen to uh get the facts on prop 64 California's Cannabis Legalization Ballot Initiative. This is from High Times, and of course, what starts it out is, we are the Drug Policy Alliance. So, keeping with our thematic covering of these important issues, uh, these are the facts on Prop 64.
5: I'm Lynn Lyman, I'm the State Director for the Drug Policy Alliance here in California, and we are one of the co-chairs for Proposition 64, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. Proposition 64 is a comprehensive marijuana legalization initiative, so it uh, legalizes uh, for adults the use, possession, transport and sharing of cannabis, that's adults 21 and over. Um, It sets up a regulatory system for uh, the commercial uh, markets, and it is a huge sentencing reform massively reducing uh, criminal justice penalties across the board for marijuana violations. We've had a liberalization of our marijuana laws in California over the past 20 years. Despite that, we've had nearly a half a million marijuana arrests in California um, over the past ten years. Prop 64 reduces or eliminates nearly all marijuana violations uh, in the books. The only two remaining felonies um, are uh, selling to minors or home butane extraction. Those are both current felonies and they'll both remain felonies under Prop 64. Most importantly, children will never go to jail again in California for uh, marijuana activity. 17 and under, which is a minor in California, can only receive a non-fine infraction for any marijuana violation, and at age 18, the record is sealed. Anybody in California who has a California-based marijuana conviction on their record will be eligible to have that record uh, reduced or expunged and anybody currently incarcerated for a marijuana violation that has been changed by this law will be eligible for a reduction in their sentence and a potential release. Prop 64, we have a provision in there that says you cannot deny somebody a license based on their prior drug convictions. You know, at Drug Policy Alliance, we share the concern of, you know, making sure our mom and pop, our small farmers, our long-time uh, cultivators don't get pushed out of this business. So there's a couple of things we did in Prop 64 to protect the rights of the small growers. One of them is, and the biggest one is probably the five-year ban on any large licenses. Fees is another way um, that we set up a framework for the small business. So rather than having fees um, per license type, we have fees per size. So if you open a small retail business, your fee will be much smaller than if you open a large retail business. The same with cultivation, manufacturing, etc. Prop 64 has 19 license types everything from large uh, outdoor cultivator to indoor cultivator to small cultivator, manufacturer, distributor, retail, etc. We also created um, a new special license type that was not in MRSA called the micro license, and this is for the small businesses so 10,000 square feet or smaller who can fully vertically integrate under one license so they can grow at home they can uh, manufacture they can sell the idea is that the micro license would operate a lot like a microbrewery or a winery where you can come you can see the plants growing you can touch them and smell them you can get a tour Um, if if your locality has opted in for on-site consumption then You might be able to use on-site, consume on-site. site consumption the way that uh, we think about is much like a cigar lounge so a place where um, uh, cannabis consumers can hang out and use their cannabis now under prop 64 cannabis cannot be sold in any place where alcohol or tobacco are sold so you're not going to see this happening in a bar it would be a cannabis specific lounge and so we want to make sure that you know we do have places for people who might not have a private home either available to them or close enough or whatever it may be to be able to use cannabis safe responsible adults the way we like to, to use anything else the other thing that uh, prop 64 allows for is what we call appellates of origin so the way we have uh, you know uh, Napa Valley wine you know we can have Humboldt County marijuana and it will be verified so the third party um, inspector will give you that appellates of origin to, to say that you know you are getting cannabis from you know the Humboldt Hills. Thank <music> For the state tax revenue, it goes into the new marijuana fund. First the cost of regulation comes off the top. And then there's a couple of funds that come off the top. So there's some money that goes to research, researching the impact of legalization. There's two million dollars a year that goes to medical marijuana research at the Institute of Medicinal Marijuana in San Diego. Some three million dollars a year in the first five years that goes to California Highway Patrol to begin to research how uh, to determine um, how folks are driving under the influence of alcohol and other drugs. And then the $50 million community reinvestment fund. This is money that uh, no matter how much the uh, revenue is each year, this 50 million comes off the top and goes to those communities that have been the most targeted by the war on drugs. So high incarceration, high arrest communities will get this money to do um, the things that they want to do in their community. So whether it's job training, microfinancing for new businesses, after-school programs, drug treatment for adults, uh, legal services. Each community will be able to decide that money will be given out in a competitive kind of grant basis. So once you have all those pieces off the top, you have um, the, the three, the, the pot is split three ways. Uh, 60% of the remaining funds goes to the Department of Healthcare Services for uh, youth drug treatment, prevention, and education. Uh, there's 20% that goes to um, environmental restoration, remediation, and protection. So so one of the unfortunate consequences of having an unregulated market for the last 20 years um, is the damage to the environment. There's been watershed diversion, corruption, so a lot of environmental remediation needs to take place. And then the remaining 20% goes back to those uh, localities that have not banned. So if a city chooses to ban commercial, um, the commercial use of, of marijuana, then they will not get that last 20%. You know, this is going to be a challenging election. Um, First and foremost, it is a huge ballot in California. We're afraid people aren't going to get all the way down to 64. Um, We also know that uh, amongst likely voters who tend to be older, Marijuana legalization isn't um, an issue they're passionate about. Many of them are opposed or don't care. We need our young people to get out and vote, talk to your family and friends, come out as a cannabis user. Every talk I do, I talk about myself as a daily cannabis user. Cannabis is a part of our life in in a healthy, safe and loving way. And so just kind of spreading the cannabis culture love and getting people to vote. All the information can be found at LegalICA2016.com.
2: Oh yeah, Proposition 64, Next love week. it. Proposition 64. So that was definitely um, Dog Policy Alliance saying yes, yes, yes on 64. But I thought it'd be interesting to see who says no. Did we on find 64. something? 64? Oh, absolutely. Oh right. We have a bunch of no on 64. Let's find those people. We have to des- we have to decide whether we want. I think what's I don't know who Richard Eastman is, but he looks like an interesting cat, and he says no on Prop 64. He looks like a farmer. Let's listen to the, um... First, the one that's on TV, the 30-second ad.
5: All right, let's go Uh, for it.
2: We'll see what that's
5: about. Uh Proposition 64 will allow marijuana
2: smoking ads in prime time and on programs (laughs) with millions of children and teenage viewers. Children could be exposed to ads promoting marijuana gummy candy and brownies, the same products blamed for a spike
3: in emergency room
2: visits in Colorado. Fatalities doubled in marijuana-related car crashes after legalization in Washington State. Yet, in California,
5: Proposition 64 doesn't even include a DUI standard. Prop sixty-four. They got it wrong again.
4: Oh, okay, wait, hold it's on. so funny. The hold little on, girl. The, the, I wish people could see the face of the little girl of the smoke being blown in her
2: face. She turns her head. Oh, <laughs> so tragic. And the little girl with the gummy bears. Gummy bears. <laughs> gummy bear? bears. Well, yeah, this is funny. <laughs> I found some gummy bears at the bottom of my bag, and I think they're marijuana gummy bears, but I have no idea. They're, I might have to, like, rinse them off because they're a little bit gooey, like, but I'm hoping that they're marijuana. Well, let's, so let's, uh, this is, like, one
4: of the things as a parent, though, if you have kids and you do, like, your edibles, put it away with your alcohol. Yeah,
2: dummies. Duh. If, Right, because if your kids are gonna, and where your guns are. are, are there not, are there not alcohol commercials on TV? Are there not TV? Are there not commercials saying Budweiser, the yeah, best,
5: drink responsibly, but America. crash? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I really,
4: I love drinking. Yeah. Budweiser, Budweiser. Look, you can Football. get a woman like this oh. if you drink a six
2: pack of this. Wrong. Oh, yeah, I know. Wrong. Fatty. Uh, <laughs> so we can. I, I think i think i think we want to listen to this guy until he makes us crazy he looks like a farmer richard eastman he looks like a crazy person Ooh, let's see but uh we're gonna I'm there's only 1779 Joe
1: okay. Hill. Okay. <laughs> sounds
2: like a pimp comedy clubhouse <laughs> richard eastman on fire about prop 64
6: My name is Richard Eastman. I'm an AIDS patient that 21 years ago or 22 years ago was told he had six months to live. I'm standing in front of the tree in West Hollywood Park where Dennis Perrone, the author of California Proposition 215, John Heilman, the mayor of West Hollywood, city councilman, and Richard Eastman, at a gay pride event met. And I said, well, I don't know if I got six months to live or two years to live living with AIDS. Can I bring medical marijuana to Los Angeles and open here in West Hollywood? Yes, this is the spot. But today we're not making a documentary. We're here about Proposition 64, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. A horrible thing that ultimately was put on the ballot by the the corruptors of greed and the weed uh, and I could go down the list of names. George Soros, Monsanto, Richard Lee, Oaksterdam, all the corrupt people, Stephen D'Angelo, all the people that just want to make money on marijuana. Dennis Peron, when he got out of the Vietnam War, came to San Francisco with some marijuana and eventually became one of the biggest pot dealers in America. Richard Eastman ran away from San Francisco to Los Angeles to become a motion picture costumer. And ultimately, yeah, I got AIDS and I almost died, and Jonathan, Dennis Perrone's lover, died of AIDS. Now, you don't have to die with AIDS anymore, you can live with it, but some of them pills that we take, the antiretrovirals, the protease inhibitors, make me sick sometimes. And many marijuana gives me that appetite and proposition 64 is an infringement on proposition 215 because first of all legalization doesn't do anything for poor indigent people people on medicare Medi-Cal, medicaid in all the states across america will never get free marijuana if it's legalized it's a no-brainer kids whoever sees this video should take it from a man 63 years young living with aids for 22 years that's urging you to vote no on 64 in this coming election in November and a shout out to a woman running for president without mentioning her name because this is a no on 64 commercial I don't know I'm giving you more time than I thought I was going to give you but this initiative does nothing to help poor indigent people people that can't afford to pay their rent can't afford to buy food, let alone their medications over the counter, like aspirin or whatever, are going to be forced to go to these liquor pot stores, uh, 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 tobacco shop, pot shops to get their recreational legalized marijuana. And that's an excuse.
2: Okay, he's this is why he's being a crazy person right now, (laughs) because if they do it the way that they have done it in um, Washington and Oregon and I believe in Colorado as well, medical marijuana still stands in its same situation. Right. But it's cheaper because they tax the, if you have the medical card, things pretty much stay the same. Right. Like they have like, a, the way they do it in um, Washington is that anybody can walk in and buy pot. But if you have a medical card, you get access to like the back room. And the back room is like special and less expensive. So like, I went into a pot store and it was an eighth and it was like $75. But if you have your medical card from California, you get to go in the back room and then there's all more things It's kind of like discounted. Right. Well, it's, it's like the same price. It's like, it, it's not taxed in the same way. Right. Which as... makes
4: sense because if you're a Washington state resident, which most likely you would have that card, it'll, it, you get that discount because you're a resident as for if I'm visiting I'm gonna pay. I don't have a card, and so I'm paying that higher tax because I'm a right. visitor. So, well,
2: or you just don't never wanted to do medical marijuana. You didn't want it, the card. You didn't want your name right. on a thing. You didn't want to go to a doctor. You but just anyone walk can in. get a card.
4: And almost any resi- I mean if you're a resident, that is. right,
2: right, right, right. But they'll take a card from from another place. Let's uh, Richard Eastman isn't convincing me too much. We're gonna see what Humboldt has to say about it. This has three thousand views, so this is exciting.
0: I hate to be a bummer but you probably already know that Prop sixty-four is a trick. Would you rather that I just played music when I show you my plants and give you my opinions. Hey it says you can have six plants but it makes it a privilege, not a right. 215's a right. All those people who have two fifteens, you know, you can have 99 plants or whatever. Uh, who's going to turn you in? Uh, who can't pay $80 for a recommendation? So Prop 64, you got to get your recommendation from your primary caregiver. So that's going to cost you more, and a lot of primary caregiver physicians don't. HAND OUT MARIJUANA CARDS. ALSO MAKES IT 18 FROM THE 215 LAW. JUMPS IT UP TO, YOU HAVE TO BE 21.
2: THAT'S that's TRUE, BUT I DON'T THINK THAT THE 64 NEGATES THE 215. I DON'T THINK SO.
0: WHICH I DON'T CARE, I'M AN OLD MAN. (laughs) BUT, ONE OUNCE.
4: Use your words, man. Waiting
0: for that car to start. <laughs> there he goes. Anyway.
2: <laughs> this is uh, crazy. Anyway,
0: one ounce He's of marijuana his,
2: his plants during this
0: is all you can have. Six plants. Up to six plants. No guarantee. Your city could say you can't have any plants because... It's too close to a school or because it costs too much for electricity. If Prop 64 passes, marijuana must be secured. So you have to build a house, but a greenhouse isn't secure. So you'd have to build a structure to put it in. You couldn't grow it outside like this.
2: Okay, so this guy says no, but he's not helping us out. Right? He's not convincing us very well. No, he's waiting for the car to start, literally. Yeah. Okay, so this is save Prop 215 and vote no on Prop 64 teach-in. Okay, and this happened, and we're gonna we're just gonna let this run. uh, Quick question. Yeah. So Prop
4: 215 is the medical marijuana from 1996. Is that correct? Is that what Prop
2: 215? Right. Right. Just checking. Yeah. So I'm not from um, here. And it's I just I don't. I didn't understand if this is what they're saying is true. I just didn't realize that Prop 64 would negate Prop 215. I thought they would both stand. But the
4: big thing about Prop 64, the solution, is the fact that it's going to help the criminal
2: justice system. Yeah. Well, there's there's great things about it. I think... (sighs) We're going to have, you take the good, you take the bad, and then you don't, and there you have the facts facts of life. Ah, the facts of life. Uh, And the world never seems to live up to your dreams unless you smoke enough marijuana. The thing is that, yeah, people want the money. We want to tax the crap out of it. We want to put the money to stuff. The government wants the money. It's going to make a bunch of jobs. It's, I mean, it's going to be really, economically, it's going to be badass, right? Yeah. And it's letting people out of jail, which is awesome. Right um but again that tax they're going to put on farmers now it's great that for the first five years big interests can't come in and they're going to work with small farmers but how many small farmers are going to really want to do this that's that's kind of the thing and then how are we going to force them to do this right so are we creating a bigger black market what is i mean i don't know what's going to happen but we're going to see this is from santa cruz uh and we're just gonna we'll let this play out we'll say goodbye at the end but um that way we can just we don't have to we've been working so hard Latoya we have we have to think and do Uh, but stay (laughs) uh, listen to this we'll be we'll be back but right before and then stay tuned for uh, some call me Tim with special guest Adam Rubenfeld our first Jew excited about it (laughs) alright let's let's learn everybody
1: and this is October 15th Saturday night the full moon this is a teaching um, to save Prop 215 and to vote no on Prop 64. We want to replicate this event throughout the state in the last few weeks of the, uh, before the election. I'm here to quickly announce our main speaker, and that is a, a good friend of mine and a good friend of Jack Harris. Buddy Doozy. Buddy Doozy is the treasurer of our organization that Jack Harris set up. And we are the California Cannabis Hemp Initiative. And this is our production tonight. We're doing a teach-in against Prop 64. So Buddy Doozy is an old-time activist. Grateful. To-
5: for the California Hemp
1: Initiative 2016. We have a political action committee and we fought long and hard to get this on the ballot. We tried to get this on the ballot in 2016 and failed, but we've been trying since 1990 to get this initiative on the ballot. Buddy's here to educate us and I thank you Buddy, thank you Robert Norris, thank you everyone that came out Thank you, Sasha, for helping promote this event, and thank you, Elijah, for videoing. And without further further ado, I welcome you, buddy,
7: to our
6: event.
7: Okay, what, what I'm going to do here is uh, is I've taken the first part of Alma, the findings and declarations describe what they're doing, as well as the purpose and intent where they describe what they're doing in Alma. And I analyzed, sentence by sentence, I analyzed, and I'll give you my opinion on what it is saying. I have, uh, if anybody doesn't have a copy, I have a copy to follow along, basically. These are the remarks that I'm gonna be presenting. And uh, I have them them in colors, because I'm just going to uh, address Certain parts of each entire thing, just the ones that I, I find relevant. So this is an analysis of the findings, decorations, and the purpose and intent of Alma. Currently in California, non-medical marijuana use is unregulated, untaxed, and occurs without any consumer or environmental protections. My analysis of that sentence. I believe this opening sentence is thematic of the whole initiative. The narrative that they wish to portray is that cannabis is a danger to the people and the environment that is dominated by ruthless criminals and cartels and must be singled out for extensive regulation by nearly a dozen different enforcement agencies. The truth is that there are already laws on the books that protect our environment. It's already illegal to steal and divert water and to use federal lands without authorization. The second sentence goes like this. The Control, Regulate, and Tax Adult Use of Marijuana Act will legalize marijuana for those over 21 years old, protect children, and establish laws to regulate marijuana cultivation, distribution, sale and use, and will protect Californians and the environment from potential danger analyzing this sentence. It's possible that legalization can be framed in a manner that's worse than criminalization. And that's the case with alcohol. Most of the criminal laws governing cannabis will remain on the books. It will still be illegal to sell or possess cannabis in most cases. You can still go to jail or prison for possessing larger quantities or for sharing cannabis with someone under the age of 18. The same arbitrary DUI enforcement will still exist where the judgment of the police officer, coupled with a positive test for metabolized cannabis, is usually enough to get a DUI conviction. Moving on to sentence number three, ALMA establishes the Bureau of Marijuana Control within the Department of Consumer Affairs to regulate and license the marijuana industry. Actually, it doesn't create a new Bureau of Marijuana Control. It just takes over MRSA. MRSA is the medical marijuana MRSA is the law that was just passed in 2015 and signed by Governor Brown, um, and it created the Bureau of Medical Marijuana Control. What ALMA does is it, usurps that bureau, it drops the word medical, and it expands it to cover recreational pot. All of the onerous regulations contained in the MRSA bill will remain intact. The next, the next uh, point is point B in the findings and decorations. And I'll move on to the second sentence, where it says, abuse of the medical marijuana system in California has long been widespread, but recent bipartisan legislation signed by Governor Jerry Brown is establishing a comprehensive regulatory scheme for medical marijuana. My analysis is this. The notion that there's widespread abuse in the current medical cannabis industry is driven by the opposition's claim that doctors are writing notes to just about anybody who wants one. They point out that the COA Capacity Use Act, that's Proposition 215, was written to allow seriously ill patients to legal access to cannabis, and so only seriously ill patients should be eligible to enjoy the right to use legal cannabis. But 20 years of accumulated experience in medical cannabis use has demonstrated that the benefits of cannabis extend far beyond benefits afforded only to seriously ill patients. Patients suffering from stress, insomnia, PTSD, and other ailments, which may not be considered serious to some, are able to use legal cannabis for relief. The CUI, the to Use Act language, states that cannabis can be used legally by patients suffering from not only serious ailments, listed in the CUA, but I quote, I'm quoting 215 now, any other illness for which marijuana provides relief. So the CUA actually allows cannabis, doctors to the cannabis, for just about anything that marijuana will provide relief. And so if that's being uh, too liberal, I don't see how that's being too liberal, since we all know from 20 years of experience that cannabis relieves all kinds of uh, So given this language, a doctor can in good conscience recommend cannabis to just about anyone who wants to use cannabis instead of or in addition to other medications. Claiming that this is widespread abuse is to re- reinforce the recurring theme of Alma, that pot is so dangerous that we can only legalize it if it is tightly regulated. 80 years ago, anti-cannabis hemp special interest gave us reefer
5: madness. The notion that the cannabis implant was so
7: Anything except for maybe nuclear fuel. The next, the next sentence, sentence number three the Control, Regulate, and Tax Adult Use of Marijuana Act, hereafter called the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, will consolidate and streamline regulation and taxation for both non medical and medical marijuana. Consolidate with MRSA. My analysis. Is uh, sentence number three the dictionary definition of consolidate is to join together into one whole. So what?
2: Alma it been- okay, so we've decided that these are just greedy, dirty hippies <laughs> that don't uh, that don't want to c- commute people out of jail and uh, about their selfish. Thinking reasons. about their selfish reasons. Uh, let's see. Here's <laughs> this is vote no on 64 legalization of marijuana for entertainment in California. Emeryville Police Chief Jennifer Tejada advises to say no. So this is like kind of what you were looking
5: for. Prop 64? Yes, yes. I think Prop 64 is a very poorly written piece of legislation
4: that is clearly all about big profits for that industry. Mm -hmm. And it lacks consideration for public safety and public health. Yes, so our peers in Washington and Colorado certainly have been experiencing the negative impacts of the legalization of recreational adult use marijuana. Mm -hmm. And one of the areas that is significant for us is when they tell us that in Washington,
2: Uh Uh-oh, again, uh, some dead air at Mutiny Radio. Uh, I'm going to switch gears up. We're playing an old AltaCast, and instead of that, I'm going to play Stephen King's Ur, which is this great book that he wrote but only put it out on Kindle. And so... No one got to read it; <laughs> it never got officially published. But this is a reading of it, and it's amazing. And I hope that you enjoy it very much. It's we're having a little dead air. So here we go. We're figuring it out. Er, by Stephen King.
5: Recorded Books presents R.B. Shorts a collection of classic and contemporary stories from the world's best writers of short fiction. And now, Err, by Stephen King, narrated by Holter Graham.
3: One, experimenting with new technology. When Wesley Smith's colleagues asked him, some with an eyebrow hoiked satirically, what he was doing with that gadget, they all called it a gadget, He told them he was experimenting with new technology. But that was not true. He bought the gadget, which was called a Kindle, out of spite. I wonder if the market analysts at Amazon even have that one on their product survey radar, he thought. He guessed not. This gave him some satisfaction, but not as much as he hoped to derive from Ellen Silverman's surprise when she saw him with his new purchase. That hadn't happened yet, but it would. It was a small campus, after all, and he'd only been in possession of his new toy. He called it his new toy, at least to begin with, for a week. Wesley was an instructor in the English department at Moore College in Moore, Kentucky. Like all instructors of English, he thought he had a novel in him somewhere and would write it someday. Moore College was the sort of institution that people call a good school. Wesley's friend in the English department his only friend in the English department, once explained what that meant. His friend's name was Don Allman, and when he introduced himself, he liked to say, one of the Allman brothers, I play a mean tuba. He did not actually play anything. A good school, he said, is one nobody has ever heard of outside a 30-mile radius. People call it a good school because nobody knows it's a bad school, and most people are optimists, although they may claim they are not. People who call themselves realists are often the biggest optimists of all. Does that make you a realist? Wesley once asked him. I think the world is mostly populated by shitheads, Don Allman responded. You figure it out. Moore wasn't a good school, but neither was it a bad school. On the great scale of academic excellence, its place resided just a little south of mediocre. Most of its 3,000 students paid their bills, and many of them got jobs after graduating, although few went on to obtain, or even try for, graduate degrees. There was a fair amount of drinking, and of course there were parties, but on the great scale of party schools, Moore's Place resided just a little to the north of Mediocre. It had produced politicians, but all of the small water variety, even when it came to graft and chicanery. In 1978, one Moore graduate was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, but he dropped dead of a heart attack after serving only four months. His replacement was a graduate of Baylor. The school's only marks of exceptionality had to do with its Division III football team and its Division III women's basketball team. The football team, the Moore Meerkats, was one of the worst in America, having won only seven games in the last ten years. There was constant talk of disbanding it. The current coach was a drug addict who liked to tell people that he had seen the wrestler 12 times and never failed to cry when Mickey Rourke told his estranged daughter that he was just a broken-down piece of meat. The women's basketball team, however, was exceptional in a good way, especially considering that most of the players were no more than five feet seven and were preparing for jobs as marketing managers, wholesale buyers, or, if they were lucky, personal assistants to men of power. The Lady Meerkats had won eight conference titles in the last ten years. The coach was Wesley's ex-girlfriend, ex as of one month previous. Ellen Silverman was the source of the spite that had moved Wesley to buy a Kindle from Amazon, Inc., the company that sold them. Well, Ellen and the Henderson kid in Wesley's introduction to modern American fiction class. Don Allman also claimed the more faculty was mediocre. Not terrible, like the football team. That, at least, would have been interesting, but definitely mediocre. What about us? Wesley asked. They were in the office they shared. If a student came in for a conference, the instructor who had not been sought would leave. For most of the fall and spring semesters, this was not an issue, as students never came in for conferences until just before finals. Even then, only the veteran grade grubbers, the ones who'd been doing it since elementary school, turned up. Don Allman said he sometimes fantasized about a juicy co-ed wearing a T-shirt that said, I will screw you for an A. But this never happened. What about us? What about us? Look at us, bro. I'm going to write a novel, Wesley replied, although even saying it depressed him. Almost everything depressed him since Ellen had walked out. When he wasn't depressed, he felt spiteful. Yes, and President Obama is going to tab me as a new poet laureate, Don Alman exclaimed. Then he pointed at something on Wesley's cluttered desk. The Kindle was currently sitting on American Dreams, the textbook Wesley used in his intro to American Lit class. How's that working out for you? Fine, Wesley said. Will it ever replace the book? Never, Wesley said, but he had already begun to wonder. I thought they only came in white, Don Allman said. Wesley looked at Don as haughtily as he himself had been looked at in the department meeting where his Kindle had made its public debut. Nothing only comes in white, he said. This is America. Don Allman considered this, then said, I heard you and Ellen broke up. Wesley sighed. Ellen had been his other friend, and one with benefits, until four weeks ago. She wasn't in the English department, of course, but the thought of going to bed with anyone in the English department, even Suzanne Montanari, who was vaguely presentable, made him shudder. Ellen was five-two, eyes of blue, slim, with a mop of short, curly black hair that made her look distinctly elfin. She had a dynamite figure and kissed like a dervish. Wesley had never kissed a dervish, but he could imagine, nor did her energy flag when they were in bed. Once, winded, he lay back and said, I'll never equal you as a lover. If you keep talking snooty like that, you won't be my lover for long. You're okay, Wes. But he guessed he wasn't. He guessed he was just sort of mediocre. It wasn't his less-than-athletic sexual ability that ended their relationship, however. It wasn't the fact that Ellen was a vegan with tofu hot dogs in her fridge. It wasn't the fact that she would sometimes lie in bed after lovemaking, talking about pick-and-rolls, give-and-goes, and the inability of Shawna Deason to learn something Ellen called the old garden gate. In fact, these monologues sometimes put Wesley into his deepest, sweetest, and most refreshing sleeps. He thought it was the monotony of her voice, So different from the shrieks, often profane, of encouragement she let out while they were making love, shrieks that were similar to the ones she uttered during games, running up and down the sidelines like a hare or a squirrel going up a tree, exhorting her girls to pass the ball and go to the hole and drive the paint. Sometimes in bed she was reduced to yelling, harder, 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 as in the closing minutes of a game, she was often able to exhort no more than, bucket, 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 They were in some ways perfectly matched, at least for the short term. She was fiery iron, straight from the forge, and he, in his apartment filled with books, was the water in which she cooled herself. The books were the problem. That and the fact that he had called her an illiterate bitch. He had never called a woman such a thing in his life before, but she had surprised an anger out of him that he had never suspected. He might be a mediocre instructor, as Don Alman had suggested, and the novel he had in him might remain in him, like a wisdom tooth that never comes up, at least avoiding the possibility of rot, infection, and an expensive, not to mention painful, dental process. But he loved books. Books were his Achilles' heel. She had come in fuming, which was not new, but also fundamentally upset, a state he failed to recognize because he had never seen her in it before. Also, he was rereading James Dickey's deliverance, reveling again in how well Dickey had harnessed his poetic sensibility, at least that once, to narrative. And he had just gotten to the closing passages, where the unfortunate canoeists are trying to cover up both what they have done and what has been done to them. He had no idea that Ellen had just been forced to boot Shauna Deason off the team, or that the two of them had had a screaming fight in the gym in front of the whole team, plus the boys' basketball team, which was waiting their turn to practice their mediocre moves, or that Shauna Deason had then gone outside and heaved a large rock at the windshield of Ellen's Volvo, an act for which she would surely be suspended. He had no idea that Ellen was now blaming herself, bitterly blaming herself, because she was supposed to be the adult. He heard that part, I'm supposed to be the adult, and said uh-huh for the fifth or sixth time, which was one time too many for Ellen Silverman, whose fiery temper hadn't exhausted itself for the day after all. She plucked deliverance from Wesley's hands, threw it across the room, and said the words that would haunt him for the next lonely month. Why can't you just read off the computer like the rest of us? You really said that? Don Alman asked a remark that woke Wesley from a trance-like state. He realized he had just told the whole story to his office mate. He hadn't meant to, but he had, and there was no going back now. She did, and I said, that was a first edition I got from my father, you illiterate bitch. Don Allman was speechless. He could only stare. She walked out. "'Wesley said miserably. "'I haven't seen or spoken to her since. "'Haven't even called to say you're sorry?' "'Wesley had tried to do this "'and had gotten only her answering machine. "'He had thought of going over to the house "'she rented from the college, "'but thought she might put a fork in his face "'or some other part of his anatomy. "'Also, he didn't consider what had happened "'to be entirely his fault. "'She hadn't even given him a chance. "'Plus,' She was illiterate, or close to it. Had told him once in bed that the only book she'd read for pleasure since coming to Moore was Reach for the Summit, The Definite Dozen System for Succeeding at Whatever You Do, by Tennessee Vols coach Pat Summit. She watched TV, mostly sports, and when she wanted to dig deeper into some news story, she went to the Drudge Report. She certainly wasn't computer illiterate. She praised the Moore College wireless network, which was superlative rather than mediocre, and never went anywhere without her laptop slung over her shoulder. On the front was a picture of Tamika Catchings with blood running down her face from a split eyebrow and the legend, I play like a girl. Don Allman sat in silence for a few moments, tapping his fingers on his narrow chest. Outside their window, November leaves rattled across Moore Quadrangle. Then he said, Did Ellen walking out have anything to do with that? he nodded to Wesley's new electronic sidekick. It did, didn't it? You decided to read off the computer, just like the rest of us. To, what, We were back? No, Wesley said, because he didn't want to tell the truth. In a way he still didn't completely understand, he had done it to get back at her, or make fun of her, or something. Not at all. I'm merely experimenting with new technology right said don Alman, and i'm the new poet laureate his car was in parking lot a but wesley elected to walk the two miles back to his apartment a thing he often did when he wanted to think he trudged down moore avenue first past the fraternity houses then past apartment houses blasting rock and rap from every window then passed the bars and take-out restaurants that serve as a life-support system for every small college in America. There was also a bookstore specializing in used texts, and last year's bestsellers offered it 50% off. It looked dusty and dispirited and was often empty because people were home reading off the computer, Wesley assumed. Brown leaves blew around his feet. His briefcase banged against one knee. Inside were his texts, The current book he was reading for pleasure, 2666, by the late Roberto Bolano, and a bound notebook with beautiful marbleized boards. This had been a gift from Ellen on the occasion of his birthday. For your book ideas, he had said. In July, that was, when things between them had still been swell and they'd had the campus pretty much to themselves, the blank book had over 200 pages but only the first one had been marked by his large, flat scrawl. At the top of the page, printed, was the novel. Below that was, a young boy discovers that his father and mother are both having affairs. And, a young boy, blind since birth, is kidnapped by his lunatic grandfather who... And, a teenager falls in love with his best friend's mother and... Below this one was the final idea, written shortly after Ellen had thrown deliverance across the room and stalked out of his life. A shy but dedicated small college instructor and his athletic but largely illiterate girlfriend have a falling out after It was probably the best idea. Write what you know. All the experts agreed on that. But he simply couldn't go there. Talking to Don had been hard enough, And even then, anything like complete honesty had escaped him, like saying how much he wanted her back, for instance. As he approached the three-room flat he called home, what Don Allman sometimes called his bachelor pad, Wesley's thoughts turned to the Henderson kid. Was his name Richard or Robert? Wesley had a block about that, not the same as the block he had about fleshing out any of the fragmentary mission statements for his novel, but probably related. He had an idea all such blocks were probably fear-centered and basically hysterical in nature, as if the brain detected, or thought it had detected, some nasty interior beast and had locked it in a cell with a steel door. You could hear it thumping and jumping in there like a rabid raccoon that would bite if approached, but you couldn't see it. The Henderson kid was on the football team, a noseback or point guard or some such thing, And while he was as horrible on the gridiron as any of them, he was a nice kid and a fairly good student. Wesley liked him. But still, he had been ready to tear the boy's head off when he spotted him in class with what Wesley assumed was a PDA or a newfangled cell phone. This was shortly after Ellen had walked out. In those early days of the breakup, Wesley often found himself up at three in the morning pulling some literary comfort food down from the shelf, usually his old friends Jack Aubrey and Stephen Matterand their adventures recounted by Patrick O'Brien. And not even that had kept him from remembering the ringing slam of the door as Alan left his life, probably for good. So he was in a foul mood and more than ready for backtalk as he approached Henderson and said, put it away, this is a literature class, not an internet chat room. The Henderson kid had looked up and given him a sweet smile. It hadn't lifted Wesley's foul mood in the slightest, but it did dissolve his anger on contact, mostly because he wasn't an angry man by nature. He supposed he was depressive by nature, maybe even dysthymic. Hadn't he always suspected that Ellen Silverman was too good for him? Hadn't he known in his heart of hearts that the door slam had been waiting for him from the very beginning when he'd spent the evening talking to her at a boring faculty party? Ellen played like a girl. He played like a loser. He couldn't even stay mad at a student who was goofing with his pocket computer or Nintendo or whatever it was in class. It's the assignment, Mr. Smith, the Henderson kid had said. On his forehead was a large purple bruise from his latest outing in the meerkat blue. It's Paul's case, look. The kid turned the gadget so Wesley could see it. It was a flat white panel, rectangular, less than half an inch thick. At the top was Amazon Kindle and the smile logo Wesley knew well. He was not entirely computer illiterate himself and had ordered books from Amazon plenty of times, although he usually tried the bookstore in town first, partly out of pity. Even the cat, who spent most of its life dozing in the window, looked malnourished. The interesting thing on the kid's gadget wasn't the logo on top or the teeny tiny keyboard, a computer keyboard surely, on the bottom. In the middle of the gadget was a screen, and on the screen was not a screensaver or a video game where young men and women with buffed-out bodies were killing zombies in the ruins of New York, but a page of Willa Cather's story about the poor boy with the destructive illusions. Wesley had reached for it, then drew back his hand. May I? Go ahead, the Henderson kid, Richard, or Robert, told him. It's pretty neat. You can download books from thin air, and you can make the type as big as you want. Also, the books are cheaper because there's no paper or binding. That sent a minor chill through Wesley.